Oh, now a break here for DC. Eskandarian, one on one with Pierce. Takes a shot and a goal. What a great finish by Eskandarian against the run and play. DC take a 1 0 lead. This is a wonder goal. This is a little tiny mistake in the back. Miscommunication. Eskandarian gets it, takes off. He basically swings his foot, knocks it off the inside of the post. On the turn. Quick shot, Eskandarian. It's time. Post up. Gets on that left foot, that is his strength, and you cannot hit a ball any better than that. Great touch, that's his strength. Another knuckleball in the upper corner. Welcome back to the RFU Refugees podcast. Ted here again. We are talking DC United, everything, and we have a very special guest on the show today. Uh, we have Aleko Eskandarian, the man, the myth, the legend. Aleko, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. It, it is okay if I call you Aleko, right? Or do you prefer Esky? I, I know people... Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever rolls off the tongue, man. I've heard every iteration of my name at this point in my life. Yeah, man. Well, it's 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 awesome to have you on the show. Um, I guess uh, let's get into it. Um, you know, part a big reason we brought, on, brought you on here, 25th anniversary of DC United. Um, hard to believe it's it's been going on it, it's been going on that long. Uh, you were a part of the 2004 MLS Cup championship team. Um, that is a, a memory that's near and dear to my heart, uh, as far as the, what I got to see you do on the field, uh, I guess just give us a sense, like, what was it like being a part of that team in, in 2004? It was, it was special, man. Um, I was obviously young. Um, so, uh, I remember at the time just kind of being like, man, I wonder if this is what every you know professional team is like and things like that. Um, I obviously went through a really rough 2003 season um with uh being the number one pick and then just not getting as much playing time as i as i wanted um the team struggled we had you know issues uh in the coaching ranks and obviously uh there was there was a change at the end of the year but there was just a lot of turmoil in 2003 where it was kind of like a rude awakening where i was like man i came from college where i was playing with a lot of my my friends and um, you know, kind of fighting for each other. And then all of a sudden that 2003 season was, was a bit of a circus, if I'm being totally honest, like so many strong personalities and, and just mayhem uh, across the board. So 2004 for me was very much personally a, a redemption year where I had a chip on my shoulder where I wanted to uh, shut up some naysayers and also just uh, show the fans um, what I was capable of. Um, and then I'm truly grateful for Peter Novak uh, taking the helm and, and uh, just giving a lot of structure and discipline to our, to our squad um, and leadership that we desperately needed. Um, and by the end of it, it truly was a brotherhood that I never experienced again throughout my career. So it was a, a special year. I think going through everything we went through in 2003 kind of helped us prepare and, and embrace how special 2004 was. I believe I believe he had a story. I think it was you that had a story about um, Heistro Stoichkov not wanting to get subbed off, and uh, Ray yeah. Hudson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was supposed to come into a game, and literally, <laughs> I remember my I remember my parents were like watching a game, uh, and then they called me after the game. They were like, "Hey, the the announcers were like, you were you're at the fifty yard line. You're like at half field. You're about to." come into the match and then you didn't come into the match. What happened? I was like, Oh, cause as I was about to be subbed in, uh, they put up Risto's number and he just looked at Ray Hudson and he just goes, no. <laughs> and, 
And Ray was like, no, no, Houston, you're coming out. He just goes, no, 10 more minutes. And I looked at Ray. Ray looked at me, and then he was like, all right, let's go warm up <laughs> 10 more minutes. <laughs> and then in the meantime, I think we scored a goal or the other team scored a goal, and then they just scrapped the substitution, and that was that. And I'm like, all right, that's that's how things are being run here. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that's not that's like the type of thing that happened under Peter Novak's watch. I don't think Peter Novak would have, would have stood for something like that. <laughs> Definitely not. And that's probably one of my more tame Christo stories. So that guy's a legend. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know, I think there there was also there, there was a little uh, snot nosed brat who uh, I think you would probably refer refer to him as uh, coming in in 2004 as well. Freddie Adu. What was the circus like? I mean, from your perspective, I guess, what was the circus like with that? And I don't mean Freddie. No, I'm Freddie. I'm sure it was a very, very nice kid. I was I was trying to be a little funny there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Fre- Freddie's to this day a, a dear friend of mine. Um, but you could call him a brat because you know he was a little bit of a brat at times. But... <laughs> Who isn't at 14, right? Who's <laughs> right, not a brat right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we we I, I think we thought we were prepared for the Freddie show, but no one was prepared for that man. That was. Uh, the soccer version of the Beatles. I mean, literally everywhere we went was sold out crowd and a bunch of, you know, preteen kids who were just worshiping uh, Freddie. And um, me personally, I loved it because I'm, I've always been the type of player that whenever uh, there was more on, on the line or more eyeballs or cameras, I, it always got the better out of me. Um, so I love that. Freddie was able to to bring that to our team and to our league. Uh, but yeah, there was just so many other characters that were all of a sudden around the locker room and agents and advisors and all kinds of people and psych- psychologists. And uh, yeah, he had, he had a whole like entourage that uh, kind of followed him around. And um, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was tough for him to deal with. Um, and it became a bit tumultuous with, with our team as well, because it, it became tough to ask him to behave like a rookie when he was the highest paid player in the league. So it was a, uh, it was, it was a weird dynamic, but ultimately I enjoyed his, my, my relationship with him as a friend. And also I, I liked playing with him as well. Well, you were part of um, what many people called the magic triangle in 04, you know, things weren't, weren't going all that well for the team. They were kind of sitting in sort of the middle of the table um, then DC goes in, brings an Argentine player by the name of Christian Gomez. And suddenly it was, it, it took a little bit probably, but suddenly it just, it just connected. And you guys just, you guys looked like you were on the same page. And I still, I still contend you, Jaime and, uh, and Gomez played some of the best soccer, uh, probably since the, uh, since the early days of, of DC. How, how, how is it that, you know, cause Christian comes in mid season. We all talk about, you know, we see MLS players today coming in mid season, like it's no big deal. And it, they take a while to acclimate. How was it that you, you, Jaime, and Christian were just able just to get on the same page so quickly in that season? Yeah, I, th- I think just Christian's skill set matched perfectly to what Jaime and I brought to the table. And it's funny because I remember in training, um, there'd be times where just because of numbers where Peter Novak would actually jump into practice. And... There were times that we were, you know, playing 11, 11 aside or whatever it was, just just training drills. And Peter was an attacking midfielder. And I remember when Peter would jump in, if he was on my team, I would tear it up. I would score goal after goal just from Peter, you know, finding me on these little through balls and passes. And I'm like, Peter, please sign yourself. Like, we need 
a number 10, you know, like if you play, I'll score double the amount of goals. Um, and so we'd always kind of joke around it. Like we, we need a, a number 10. Um, and then they signed Christian and I'll never forget Christian's first week of training. He was terrible, like awful. And I remember all of us in the locker room were like, how much are they paying this guy? Like what's, where do they find this guy from? And oh man, what a waste and like all this stuff. And he, yeah, he just like couldn't, he couldn't do anything right. He didn't speak the language. He, he didn't understand anything anyone was saying. Um, so he found it really, really tough in training. And then it was probably like 10 days in, two weeks in, we played an 11 aside um, inner squad scrimmage and he legit scored five goals in 11 aside. And we were like, that's unheard of. You don't score five goals in 11 v 11. And I remember we kind of walked back in the locker room like, man, freaking Christian was on fire today. And we're like, yeah, five goals, like just must have been his day. And then all of a sudden it was his day every single day <laughs> after that. <laughs> and we're like, man, this guy's the real deal. And so um, once he kind of became that the point of that triangle, it was, uh, it was the perfect storm because between myself, Jaime, and Christian, we all had very different strengths. And if an opponent tried to key in on taking away any of those strengths, then we just knew it was going to be a field day for one of us at least. So it was uh, truly a pleasure to, pl to play alongside those two guys. And I'll put us up against any back line in league history and, and know that we would score. How, how much of a travesty is it that Jaime's not in the Hall of Fame? You got you got to give me you, you got to give me that. Like, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I I, I don't need. I didn't even know that. Um, like I now that this you say is, that, I remember that. But I just think the whole thing is uh, a popularity contest more so than than quality. Um, so I, I don't really put too much stock in it because anyone that's played in MLS or played against Jaime knows Jaime's a Hall of Famer and and one of the greatest players to ever play uh, in the United States. So. Um, to me, I don't measure anyone by whether they're in the Hall of Fame or not. And I'm not just saying that because I wasn't nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's uh, – I, I mean, obviously you played in one of uh, what I what I would consider one of the greatest games. And it's not just because I was there. Um, I think I was in middle school, and I had parents drive me up to that game. And I was, like, freaking out because, like, we were in line for tickets. And it was, like, literally right as I walked in, you scored your goal against New England. Um, that game was, I still call it the best game in MLS. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if, if we have Messi and Ronaldo facing off, um, that for me will, will remain the best game. Um, I mean, that, that was a game I think that kind of maybe I, I'd say it was a turning point. I mean, you had even the biggest skeptics of the league talking about how great of a game that was. What was it sort of like to sort of participate in that game? Man, everything about that game was perfect. Like even down to the weather. Like it was like a <laughs> nice, brisk, like a little bit chilly uh, fall day where, you know, the long sleeve jerseys came out and, um, you know, our opponent was, was tough as nails. New England had uh, so, a lot some, of exciting players. Some guy uh, named Clint Dempsey. I've never heard of him. Yeah, never heard of him. <laughs> it's funny because uh, the buildup of their team was actually pretty similar to ours where they had a couple of young guys uh, in Clinton Dempsey, Pat Noonan at the time. Um, they had a bunch of uh, veteran guys who, who had been around the league for a while, like Steve Ralston and, you know, Matt Reese and, and those guys, um, Avery John. And uh, then they had guys who were in their prime, like Taylor and Shaw Ree, 
So we, we kind of had a, a very similar team in bettering guys like Jaime and Christian and all that, young guys like myself, Freddie, Brian Carroll, Josh Gross, and then the, the guys who were uh, in their prime as well. The only funny thing about it is we played that game with arguably our best player, which was Ryan Nelson. So yeah. <laughs> to me, even that out, you know, we, we would have crushed them, I would say. But um, the fact that we had – because uh, I think Dima, Dima was out that game as well. Dima, Dima was out and Ryan Nelson were out because they both had, were suspended. So those were two key pieces to our team that were out. So credit to the depth of, of how strong our squad was where Ezra and, and Josh were able to step in and start um, and, and play a, a great part in it. But awesome game. Um, I, I think it's one for the history books for sure, just with the, the drama, the back and forth, the quality of the goals that were scored. Um, the intensity, the tackles, everything about it, even down to the coaches, um, just a, a bunch of legendary uh, characters involved in that match. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad the fans got their money's worth that game. It's certainly, well, I mean, I was in middle school, I didn't pay, but they, it was certainly worth it. It was Your certainly, yes, uh, yeah, well, my friend's parents did, uh, but it was certainly worth it to <laughs> me um, and, and to see that game. Uh, and then we get we get to the final. We got we got to talk the final. Oh, I did want to ask. Um, so there, there's a there's a a friend of ours, a friend of the show, Mark Fishkin, who, who's a, a Metro Stars fan. I don't know if you remember the the Ernie Stewart goal. He he contends to this day that Ernie uh, was offside. Was Ernie offside? On sides, yeah. Perfect timing, man. Perfect timing. All right. I'm, I'm it's, a- it's a shame, man. We didn't we didn't have those HD uh, cameras back in those days, or else. Uh, they would have, if they followed the play, they would have seen that, that he was on sides. But um, we, I'll be honest, like we timed it. We knew um, New York played a high line and um, that ball was on all day. So I have no idea. Obviously, I was on a linesman that game, but I trust Ernie. He's been around uh, the block long enough to, to time his run and not be offsides, especially playing on the wings. But yeah, it, it looked really bad with how. New York backline kept stepping up even after he got it, which made the gap look that much bigger. Um, but in all honesty, it wouldn't have mattered. Like we we had that series so in the back. You hear that, Mark? You hear that, Mark? He was on side. Aleko says so. So it's true. I mean, we, we were the better team regardless. No, <laughs> exactly. no one is saying you know the Metro Stars were the better team uh, than us that year. So nothing, I, nothing to argue there. I don't know. And, and Amada Guevara stole Jaime's MVP award. So we'll call it even. How about that? There oof, we go. <laughs> oof, yeah, for sure. For sure. I love Amado. Amazing player. But yeah, Jaime's MVP. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the, let's get to the cup. The, the 2004 MLS cup. Yeah. You had an MVP, an MVP caliber game. Uh, you won the MVP award. Uh, your first goal, classic, just classic center forwards goal. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it that. The second goal, uh, I believe uh, you had some fun with Jimmy Conrad. I, was, I think it was Jimmy Conrad, right? You had some fun with him on that one. Um, I'm yeah. going to contend uh, I'm a certified official and definitely not biased at all. I'm going to say that was not handling. You were perfect. Correct. You're fine. Ball to, hand, ball to hand. <laughs> ball to hand. But, uh, but, but talk, I mean, talk a little bit about sort of that performance in that game. And, and, you know, it was in LA, there was, the fans were there. It, it must've been just an absolutely awesome experience. And really just to sort of cap off sort of the, the season you guys had. Yeah, um, like I said, man, everything we went through in 03. Uh, and again, for me personally, I remember when I wasn't getting the playing time that I wanted in 03, there was all this chatter about, you know, number one pick bust and, you know, all this other, you know, crap just in the media. And um, I just knew I, I needed a chance to, to play. And so uh, when Peter gave me the opportunity to play, I, I wanted to repay him. So all year long, um, I was really happy with 
uh, how things were progressing. And we went on a run. I think I think we went unbeaten in our last like 10, 11 games that year. Um, and leading up to the final, it was just the culmination of everything we had gone through. And, um, you know, we had a nice team dinner the night before the game. And um, I think it was Ernie Stewart who was like, guys, take, take a nice long look around the room um, because you never know what's going to happen in the offseason. But uh, one thing is for sure that this group of players, this, this team, uh, will never play another match together. And that really struck a, a chord with me where um, that was like my first time where I was like, no, I don't want, I don't want to break this team up. I don't want anyone to leave or anything. Like I had so much fun playing with these guys. And I remember just going into that next day. Um, I wanted to win so bad for our group because we had such a great group of guys. Um, to give you an example of how, how much fun we had as a group, normally on every team, when you go out to bars or whatever it is, like every, every team has, clicks right like three four guys go to dinner here a couple of guys go there whenever we went out with that 04 team we had like a group of like 22 that we rolled <laughs> through it. like it was yeah, we couldn't go to like packed places because we're like now nah, we're, we're 22 deep we can't just roll into like the party will follow us to wherever we went <laughs> that's really uncommon right if, if you look that's at emma austin that's that seems really uncommon completely uncommon like yeah. i said I've, i never had that experience on any other team I, i've been on i played for five mls teams so um it, it was very very uncommon but that you know again it was the leadership uh in the locker room where you know starting with ryan nelson the captain um and and even like the older guys who were like who very much understood what that team camaraderie was was all about so um going into that game um the other thing I'll say, which which um, I actually tell this story to a lot of kids that I talk to um, these days, but uh, I actually I did I used to do a group of us would go to like a Bible study before matches. So we went to this Bible study, and um, there was this whole verse about you know stepping up when when you're needed, and um, uh, not necessarily about being a hero, but just taking responsibility. That that was the whole message right taking accountability taking responsibility not not waiting for someone else uh to do the dirty work for you and i'm not kidding i'm, I'm in the match uh sporting kansas city or kansas city wizards at the time score a great goal jose Bursiaga, like five minutes in hits a bomb and i remember just being on the field walking around and uh when when you're playing soccer obviously the game's going on but you're just constantly just talking to yourself right like you have your inner voice that's just kind of like all right, I hope this guy makes a play or man, I hope Jaime beats this guy. I hope Christian, you know, gets us back into the game, whatever it is. And you're just talking, talking, talking. And I just had this moment where I literally started telling myself, like, why are you waiting for someone else to step up? Like you step up, stop waiting for someone else to, um, to make a play. Like maybe your team needs you to do something now. So I literally had just that message in my head, uh, which kind of echoed uh, the, the Bible study that we had prior to the, to the match. And uh, yeah, sure enough, the opportunity presented itself and Brian Carroll passed me that ball. I posted up Nicky Garcia, turned around and spun him and, and uh, scored that first goal. Um, and then the second goal, uh, shortly afterward, Ryan Nelson, right before the game was like, hey, you set our pressure. You know, anytime you feel like you can press their center backs and cause a turnover or a poor clearance, you go for it. You, you have that free, that free uh, reign. So I kind of baited, uh, I think, Jose to throw the ball into Jimmy, and then I just ran at him uh, like a crazy person. 
jumped up to try to make myself big, but my arm was up just covering my face and he kind of cleared it into me at the time. I didn't even know where it hit. Um, I thought it was close to like my elbow, but um, it certainly was not intentional or anything like that. My hand was near my body, but uh, yeah, went through and just put it away. And, uh, and then we got a third goal shortly after that as well. So it was uh, a nice little seven, eight minute spurt uh, to get those three goals. And then it was just about managing the game to see it through, but didn't get any easier with uh, Dima getting a red <laughs> card and playing down a man for those last 20, 30 minutes. Dima, probably the most famous red card in MLS history. Uh, you, you probably, you probably have, you probably endeared yourself um, to to many DC fans. I don't, you 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 were already endeared after your cup performance, but we got we got to talk about the celebration. We got to talk about the one because you're 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 a Jersey guy. You're you're from Jersey. Oh, yeah. I know you're a Jersey guy, and you probably grew up going to some Metro Star games. I'm going to go ahead and say so. Um, season tickets, season tickets. I I knew it. I knew it. So. Uh, what was the it, it would have it just had to be you right it had to be you because I know I think it was a team the team someone was going to do it and Jaime didn't want to do it and you're like well someone's got to do it so I'll go ahead and do it <laughs> no nah, it was uh... <laughs> so when um, when Red Bull bought the team uh, well first I have to rewind because when when I was coming out of UVA uh, there were a lot of rumors that the Metro Stars were, were going to trade up to take me number one. And that was kind of the message I was getting from, you know, my agent, from, from a lot of people. So um, from what I understood, they had the opportunity to do so. And when they didn't, and DC kept the number one pick and took me, I took that in a way of, okay, you, you chose not to go this route and not to take me, not to bring me home. So now DC is my home and now you're the enemy. So after that, I made sure any chance I, I had a chance to remind them that maybe they made a mistake. Um, I was going to do my best to, to show them. So whether that was scoring goals in the playoffs or um, coming up with creative celebrations, that, that was uh, something that I, I took to heart. And to me, it's just the, the spirit of competition and, and, of, and of the reason we played this game, right? Like you want to play and have fun and, and talk trash and, um enjoy that pressure for me i always thrive under the pressure so i loved kind of that little rivalry and the other part of it is anytime i played against new york that was a homecoming for me all my friends all my family were there so um the stakes got up even more so i had to do something entertaining and fun for them but when red bull bought the team um just in in practice we kind of joked around i think it was santino of like oh we got to do something you know related <laughs> to red bull and uh when we when we went on that trip, Benny Olsen was actually my roommate on that trip. And I'll never forget, he was talking to Chris Albright uh, prior to the game. Chris Albright was playing for LA Galaxy at the time. And Benny was just talking. He was like, yeah, our game's on ESPN. So it's, you know, because you only got like one nationally televised game a week uh, in those times. And, and sometimes it was like one a month. So we had the ESPN game. And so they're on the phone and Albright's telling Benny, like, oh, you got to do something on TV. And Benny's like, oh, I'm not going to score a goal, but Aleko is going to score a goal. Like, Aleko, you got to do something. And I'm like, all right, if I score, I'll do something. Um, but I didn't know what. And then when we walked into Giant Stadium and we went to our visiting locker room, um, we normally had a cooler filled with, like, Gatorade and water and, and uh, recovery drinks and things like that. And we had obviously been there like 
I think like a month prior where we knew the setup of the locker room. All of a sudden, Red Bull bought the team. And when we walked in, they replaced the cooler with just like a giant Red Bull freezer with a thousand cans of Red Bull. We were like, what is this? Like, where is our normal setup of like water, Gatorade, recovery drinks and shakes and all that? And it was just gone. And we literally had to tell, I think, the team admin to go find us like water and Gatorade. Like it was it was a little bit of a, a slap in the face where we're like, dude, we get it. You guys bought the team, but we still need you still need to treat us like like opponents. This isn't like a commercial, you know, so. Uh, right at that moment, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something with one of these Red Bull cans that, that, that's in this freezer. So I took one out to the field with me, put it next to the bench, told one of my teammates, hey, if I score a goal, throw this over. And uh, I didn't really choreograph or plan it. So I ended up scoring, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in. I, I feel like it was early in the, in the first half. And I had never had a Red Bull before. I had never drank Red Bull in my life. It was like, it was like a new drink, you know? So it's a high and, risk move then. It was kind of a high risk celebration for you there. It could have been I, could have tasted like anything. I, I thought it was like a power aid, you know, I thought <laughs> it was just gonna be like a, a sports drink. So when my teammate threw it over to me and I was my plan was to like chug it and like smash it against my head or something. But then as soon as I started to drink it and it hit my lips, and I was like, oh man, this is carbonated, man. <laughs> and also I'm like, if this is soda, I'm gonna like cramp up. So <laughs> I had to call an audible, pivot my celebration, and right away went to spinning it out, pretending like I meant to do it, tossing the can and went off on my way and got the second goal in the second half just to be safe. Uh, I'm That's sure good improv. That's good improv then. You, you adjusted and it, and it seemed, I think it worked out just as well as your original plan, I think. I'm sure Benny loves think- the fact you're telling that he's the genesis of the whole plan, by the way, let me just say. He, he's, <laughs> he's the spark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't tell me what to do, but he definitely influenced me doing something. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So... I think most of our listeners are, are new fans. So uh, we, we that last question would count for this. So apologize uh, in advance for asking to play the hits a little bit. But that, there's one more that you know is coming, I think. Um, so it's Aleko and Kanye West. If there was a there before the grace of go out, go eye situation, I think this is one of them. So could you tell us a little bit about your your brush with sort of TMZ level fame and how it came about? And then if if you had her phone number afterwards, what, what happened there exactly? <laughs> um. Yeah, man, LA, LA is a funny place. Um, a lot of, lot of, a uh, lot of celebrities rolling around, and everyone's all about uh, image and all that stuff, which for me was was never a, a big thing. But um, one day out of the blue, uh, I had uh, some friends of mine who were also Armenian, who uh, ran an auto body shop. Um, in LA and they're a huge soccer fans. So when I came to LA, they kind of opened their arms to me and uh, we became, we became friends. And one day out of the blue, one of my friends was like, Hey man, would you ever go out with, with Kim? And I was like, yeah, obviously like who, who wouldn't? And he was like, yeah, like I'll, I'll put a word in, I'll put a word in. I was like, all right, cool. Like put a word in if you want, but like, it's not going to happen, obviously. And that was that. And then all of a sudden, it was probably like two months later, no heads up or anything. I got a phone call one day and it's, um, it's Chris Jenner, Kim's mom. And she literally calls and says, Hey, is this Aleko? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, this is Chris Jenner, Kim Kardashian's mom. And I'm like, sure. It is. <laughs> um, and, uh, I thought one of my friends was just playing a joke on me or whatever. So I was, I wasn't taking it serious at all. And then, um, 
all of a sudden I realized I was on like speakerphone and Courtney and Chloe were like in the room as well. And they were like asking me 20 questions and they were like, Hey, you were recommended as like a cool guy that Kim should go out with. So we we're just trying to get to know you a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then they were like, yeah, we, we, you passed the test. So uh, we think you're the right guy. And next thing you know, within like an hour, Kim called and, um, I had a good conversation, set up a date. Uh, producers rushed over to my apartment in Hermosa Beach shortly after that, where I signed my life away on like a million contracts, <laughs> not having any idea what I was signing. Um, and then, yeah, we, we just, we went on a date. Um, and it was a good time. Honestly, nothing, nothing crazy. From the moment we started, I told Kim, I'm like, look, I'm not built for this life, but it's a pleasure to meet you. No stress or pressure. Um, let's just have a good night. And she was totally down with it. I think, I think our date lasted like four hours, had a great time. And we kept in touch for a little bit, um, after that. But, um, for me, it was, it was, uh, it was nice to meet another fellow Armenian who, uh, actually does a lot for the, the community and, um, nothing but good things to say about her. Totally down to earth, really nice person, uh, good heart. And, uh, we had a great time. You, 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 and then Ben Olsen. That one time when we were about to sign Wayne Renew, that was the two times a DC United adjacent player has been on TMZ or has uh, <laughs> has been picked up in gossip rags. So you know, we'll take it one out of two. Um, Listen, I'm, I'm more excited about. I, I got to be on the uh, uh, the Price Is Right. That to me is my. That's is great. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. That an was, LA experience. An LA experience, if ever there was one. Um, so I wanted to quickly sort of pivot, sort of to what you're doing now. So, so you're. Are you the director of player development at MLS? Is that, is that still your current title? Yeah, yeah. I work uh, within the player relations department uh, with a focus on player development as well. Um, and yeah, it's been about three and a half years now um, at the MLS front office. And it's been great. Uh, obviously, after my playing career, I went back to school, finished my degree at UVA, um, and then had a couple of different jobs. I was youth technical director at Philadelphia Union. And then uh, I was coaching for four or five years uh, professionally with with Philly and then uh, uh, at the New York Cosmos. And uh, during that time, I, I realized that I had more of a passion on, on the business side of things. And even though I love coaching and I think, you know, at some point uh, in the future, I could always go back to that. Uh, for me, I just felt like there was a lot that I um, wanted to learn and, and that I could offer um, in the front office side of things. So made that change and it's been fantastic being in the league office, seeing how everything works from, from the background. Uh, work with all the clubs from everything to player signings to academies to scouting to um, events you know the whole um, every facet that, that goes into making our, our league work um, I feel like I, I uh, have some involvement or say in um, just there aren't too many people I guess with my background uh, in, in, in the office so it's pretty nice to be able to be in a lot of these meetings that are really impactful on the end product that you see today and uh, really proud of how far the league has come from the days that I was playing to where it's at now. What, what are, what are some things that maybe a sort of has changed as far as from the player development perspective? Obviously you came, you came through college. What is and now, you know, we have homegrowns and, and all these other things. What, what has sort of been the biggest thing you've seen is sort of from your time playing and to, to what you're seeing like today. It's, it's completely different. Obviously, there, there was no academy system when I was coming up. So you played for your town club team if that's where you grew up and, and you stuck it out, whether it was good or bad. Um, nowadays, they have all uh, the academy set up, which 
uh, offers high-level free training to all the top players. Um, and the idea is basically to pool in all these top players uh, to make sure that um, kind of like iron sharpening iron, like all these top guys are, are together competing against each other and with each other every single day. Um, and essentially having these these mini uh, all-star teams, you could even call it, uh, that are highly competitive, uh, are, uh, are, are require a great deal of commitment and sacrifice and discipline from, from these kids. Um, and with that said, there, there's some negative facets to it too. I, I think there's, there's also some kids who sometimes let that get to their head and, and become spoiled as part of it. Whereas when I was coming up, uh, everyone kind of had that hunger and chip on their shoulder. So it's just a very different, uh, a different format and system from where I was coming up. But the one thing that is a huge positive is opportunities. Um, nowadays, there are so many more teams and clubs and different pathways to, to reach the professional ranks, which is such a great positive step for, for uh, soccer in this country. Whereas where I was coming up, if you didn't make ODP or a state team, like you were screwed. It was really tough to be seen. I know even for me, my, my club team never won a state cup. Um, we never even made it to a state cup final. Like I didn't, I was the last recruit even at uh, UVA. Um, and my second choice, if I didn't get into UVA uh, on, on my 15% soccer scholarship, I would have ended up going to Princeton which at that point, I, I don't even know if I would have continued playing soccer if the academic burden became too heavy. So um, nowadays, the fact that you can uh, have so many more opportunities to be seen and, and have more quality coaching and programs and things like that is, is a huge step uh, uh, in the positive way. And uh, on top of that, you have different leagues now with USL and MPSL and PBL. And again, so many different pathways to, to get to the top level. As a league, as a uh, league employee, I'm sure you have access to the secret Google Doc that has all of the uh, various amounts of Garber bucks that each team possesses at any given time. I'm sure there's a there's a there's a Google sheet somewhere that's got the all can edit, but none can uh, or none can see. I, I assume that's part of the. We wanted to make sure. <laughs> I wanted to make it's sure that we got. Away. It's locked away in the safe. And I, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I wanted to get it. We had a couple Twitter questions. I want to get to you real quick. Um, Eric Hatch said, of your experiences with other teams uh, other than DC United, what, uh, which was the most positive and why? And I will add, and it was probably Chivas, right? <laughs> the best. Chivas, we actually had a great team, a great group of guys, but uh, we were treated like second-class citizens, man. It was uh, just not a well-run organization at all. And it's a shame because we actually had uh, a really, really strong team and, and – uh, Guys like Jesse Marsh, Ante Raza, Sasha Question, Johnny Bornstein, Zach Thornton, Jim Curtin. Like we, we had a squad, man. We we were, uh, it was it was great. But I would say LA Galaxy for sure was um, the the closest uh, between DC United and LA Galaxy. Those are definitely my two favorite clubs to play for. And again, with LA, just the way we were treated was was really professional. Um, truly, a, an honor and a joy to play with uh, David Beckham. And I think just his presence upped the ante on on uh, the league as a whole and uh, how clubs should be operated. I think it set a new standard. And um, the way he carried himself was really impressive to me as, uh, as well because he obviously was himself probably worth more than the entire league combined. But he showed up to work every day, was truly humble, was a great teammate, was great in the locker room. Um, 
and never, never acted like he was bigger than any of us. And even I actually just saw him two weeks ago. Um, I went to Inner Miami to to visit those guys, and he happened to be there on the training field uh, when I walked in. And uh, a part of me was like, man, I don't like we played together, but I don't even know if he remembers my name. <laughs> but right away, he's like, oh, let go, and kind of dapped me up, and we just caught up on the old time. So um, truly a special guy and, and a great person. And we had again so many other great players on that team, on the LA team, like. Uh, Greg Berhalter, Johan Karofsky, Eddie Lewis, Landon, uh, obviously, Mike McGee, um, Edson Buttle, Omar Gonzalez, AJ Lagarde, like just another all-star team of guys where coming to work every day was was honestly so much fun. You, you scored, you had a banger against New York uh, for, for LA. I'm sure he remembers that. I'm sure he remembers that. Um, it's homecoming. That was the last ever MLS game at Giant Stadium. Yeah. Um, and, and that was where obviously my dad played and I had so many memories and so much history there. So I had to go out with a bang, but that ended up being my last MLS game because I got my uh, career ending concussion the very next week. All right, I think we're gonna we're gonna close out the the free version. So, do you got some time to hang out for a little bit longer, like uh, a little bit more time? No problem, man. All right, gangs, appreciate it. All right, so if you're listening on our uh, on our normal uh, podcast feed, we're gonna this is we're gonna end the show here. But if you are listening on our Patreon, we're gonna t- talk a little bit more, uh, a little bit more with Aleko. So uh, it's just one dollar. Put some money in. You get to hear more from uh, more from Aleko. Uh, Aleko, tell the good people. You know, if you have anything you want to plug, anything you want to find you. I mean, I know you have your Twitter account, but if there's anything else, uh, feel free to feel free to drop it right here. No, man, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I don't need to plug anything uh, <laughs> other than support support your local soccer teams. That's that's my plug. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. You've listened on the free side. Patreon, stick around. Listening to the RFK Refugees podcast. Okay, cool as fall weather. Fuck the bullshit, I'm here.